Hello, and welcome to another episode of Future of Tax, the KPMG podcast series for tax leaders. For today's episode, I'm joined once again by Rodney Lawrence, Head of International Tax, KPMG International Limited, and partner, KPMG in the US, and Lachlan Wolfers, Head of Global Indirect Tax Services, KPMG International Limited, and partner, KPMG China. In today's episode, we reflect on the changes we've seen since the emergence of COVID-19, as well as the expectations for the future through the lens of indirect and international tax. Rodney and Lachlan, thanks for taking the time to join me on the phone today. Lachlan, if I could start with you, can you help set the stage for our listeners? How has the world of indirect tax been impacted by COVID-19? And how have you seen tax teams respond to these challenging times? Well, if you think about the impact of COVID-19, we break it down into three key phases. The first initial reaction and crisis phase, what you saw uh, was indirect tax teams were probably impacted first in, in many cases because the filing obligations in indirect tax are typically monthly or quarterly. Uh, so what very quickly teams needed to do was look at deferral of VAT filing obligations and payment obligations. Uh, what I actually saw was that many companies ultimately didn't need to take advantage of that, but the fact that they could access them, I think, certainly provided a degree of security. The second aspect they looked at was how to mitigate VAT on cash flows because it has a significant impact and cash cash is certainly king in the middle of a crisis. Uh, many companies also looked to try and access government wage and subsidy incentives, uh, and um, and we also see saw a very big rise in in electronic invoicing and obviously moving to electronic um, filing obligations as well. Then we move into the resilience and early recovery phase and I think it's fair to say that many economies are currently still in this phase and I think a couple of observations here. The first one, and this will be a theme that we'll come back to, is the risk of unilateralism growing where particular countries are looking to tax especially digital economy participants um, more than they have in the past. I think that's that's largely a function of the differential impact that we've had with COVID across different uh, sectors of the economy. We've also seen a number of European economies particularly implement temporary VAT rate reductions as a means to stimulate demand and consumption as economies emerge from lockdown conditions or in specific industries. So we've seen either general rate reductions for a temporary period or specific industry rate reductions. And the third phase, which we're moving into in some economies, uh, probably in in Asia more so, is the medium or long-term new reality phase. And this is where you see more significant changes like business restructuring, supply chain changes, in particular companies look to engage in nearshoring and regionalisation. We'll probably see an increase in VAT rates uh, around the world uh, or an increase in the base. I expect to see more turnover specific uh, and environmental taxes being implemented again, very very much the part of the discussion in Europe. Uh, and finally, I would expect to see a greater use of government subsidies and incentives to encourage new investment or employment, as some people are referring to this as BEPS 3.0, which will be how do we try and prop up business and, and, and is this creating a level playing field internationally? Rodney, coming to you with with the same question, how have you seen the world of international tax being impacted by COVID-19 and how have you seen the tax teams you work with respond to these challenging times? Well, it's great to catch up on this topic with you and the 
the messages are very similar to those messages that Lachlan just shared with us uh, from the world of indirect tax, actually. For many organizations on the cross-border corporate side, things did ground to a halt pretty quickly. Many clients found it was hard to access records back at the office because the office was closed. Budgets were immediately eliminated due to corporate liquidity concerns, and a lot of the technology that tax departments were using were based on the premise that the technology would be used in the office and not remotely. So a number of, of organizations, tax departments, actually had a rough time at the beginning. But I have to say, uh, I've been impressed with the way that many tax departments have risen to the challenge. There's a realization that, honestly, remote working in some form is with us for a long time and that internal tax teams need to embrace a new world where they may be permanently remote or at least working from home more often. One of my clients, for example, who's headquartered in the Midwest, now has members of its tax department in Florida, on the West Coast, on the East Coast, and in the central of the country. And they've just been um, allowed to work permanently from those locations. They will never return to headquarters on a permanent basis. Uh, I've also been impressed with how tax departments have quickly got used to using communication products like Teams or Google Hangouts or WebEx and such not to work with their advisors. It was certainly a challenge for everyone at first, but many are very comfortable with it. And whereas I can hear a number of people every day say that they can't wait for travel or to meet in person again, most are prepared to continue in this way. It won't stay this way completely, but remote way working is part of our new way of life in some form. And we won't return to the past where, where it was just expected that every meeting would be an in-person meeting. And I've seen that sea change in mindset at many, many clients, and I think everyone has risen to that challenge. And Rodney, what tax-related measures have you seen governments take in response to COVID-19? And, and what have these measures meant for tax leaders? Well, as we all know, many governments implemented liquidity measures. And according to our client surveys, at the outset, maximising liquidity was one of the top two items for almost every multinational. And it makes sense, right? Businesses were shutting operations, shuttering manufacturing, and having to close retail outlets in many cases. So for many tax departments, this remains a key focus. We've got through that first period, but maintaining positive cash flow is still very important. And it's not that countries are rolling out new measures, but CFOs are now checking that tax departments are delivering on the cash savings on the timelines that they committed to. You know, beyond that, many governments helpfully put out guidance relaxing certain cross-border tax rules. For example, um, the way the Australian government put out uh, notices about the treatment of intra-group financing or permanent establishment. Very, very helpful stuff. And it meant that that material helped tax leaders gain some comfort that the crisis uh, would not spiral out of control when it came to the tax expense line. I think as a practical matter, this has all kept tax leaders far busier than they expected. 
I have talked to some tax leaders who said that they felt that they would have very little work to do until they returned to the office. And now they all say they're working harder and more productively than they ever have. Um, CFOs want to know that the tax department is working. They want to know that the effective rate, the cash tax rate, uh, both are under control. And they want to know what's coming up over the horizon. And I know we'll talk about BEPS 2.0 in a minute, but this is so impactful that it's caught the eyes of many, many CFOs, and they simply expect tax leaders to be all over it. And Rodney, you just mentioned BEPS 2.0. I wonder if you could tell us the direction these discussions are taking in light of the current environment. Do you think we'll see multilateralism triumph over unilateralism in taxing the digital economy? Well, you know, that's a great question. And BEPS 2.0 reminds us that there's two things that are certain in life. That's death and taxes. BEPS 2.0 has continued on independent of the, pa- of the pandemic. Uh, I'm sure we've all seen the unauthorised releases of the likely proposals. And very shortly, we'll get the official news on what the OECD is proposing. The direction of travel has not fundamentally changed in that there are two main proposals still, an allocation of income methodology and a minimum tax concept. But the detail has. For example, the allocation keys are being simplified to an extent, and there are proposals to potentially make the system elective rather than mandatory. Time will tell because that's a very intensely political process. So you asked me about unilateralism versus multilateralism, and I'd have to say that at the moment my sense is that unilateralism has the upper hand. I look forward to hearing Lachlan's views on how that's progressing in the field of indirect tax, but it is evident in the number of DSTs. However, I believe that for something like the global tax system to work, multilateralism is fundamentally key and we will try everything until we get back to multilateralism. Now much will depend on the political movement at the OECD over the next couple of months and how willing countries are to implement these policies. But I believe at the end of the day multilateralism will win. There are just too many DSTs, too many countries, too many opportunities for inter-country conflict See, for example, the U.S.'s plans to possibly deny DSTs as a foreign tax credit for it to be anything other than a a cry for multilateralism. And I do think that companies inevitably want a simpler solution they can work with rather than the myriad of compliance obligations that's now being forced on them. Beyond that, I think both BEPS 2.0 and the pandemic frankly, have shown a number of people that their business structures are overly complicated and expensive to administer. There's nothing like shutting a plant to stress the supply chain. Tax law around the world is continuing to move towards substance, see, for example, the multilateral instrument, and it's becoming more and more common for us to see clients re-evaluating whether they actually have the substance they thought they had, whether there's the structure they have is fit for purpose and can handle a second crisis like another pandemic. And I just foresee that as a result of the BEPS 2.0 discussion, the implementation of the MLI, and the current review that many companies are undertaking of their businesses, that clients will focus even more and more on entity reduction and a reduction in business process complexity. 
Lachlan, what do you see happening with BEPS 2.0? Are there any similarities here or lessons to be learned from measures taken to tax the digital economy in an indirect tax context? So just picking up on Rodney's comment, I, I got to tell you, as an indirect tax person, I've been waiting for this day when I get an opportunity to comment on BEPS 2.0. So um, let, let me let me begin. Um, I think, firstly, there's many lessons to be learned, but let's start by acknowledging the, the challenge with BEPS 2.0 is immeasurably more difficult than for indirect tax. Let me give you an example. If you put 100 academics in a room, I I would hazard a guess and say that nearly all of them would agree that the proper place for collection of VAT on digital supplies is where the consumption occurs. So you'll get unanimity in terms of the policy position. But if you get a hundred of those same academics in a room and ask them the question about the appropriate place for taxation um, under corporate tax to accommodate the digital economy and how to get there, you'll get a hundred different answers. And that's the fundamental problem, and that's why it's immeasurably more difficult. I do hope the OECD um, is able to achieve um, a consensus position. Uh, the jury's out on whether or not they'll achieve that for the reason I think Rodney hinted at, which is I think it's very political. And the one thing I'll say in this day and age is trying to guess political outcomes is, is fraught with danger. Um, what I will say is, I think countries will still implement it differently even if there is consensus and even if there is OECD guidance to that effect and even if there is an MLI in place. Um, I think some jurisdictions will have simplifications or ordered it differently. But what I would say is most fundamental to remember in all of this, a lot of the discussion about BEPS 2.0 is focused at a very academic level, even at this stage. Uh, we do need to remember it's all about the data. And I was on a call yesterday with a number of colleagues around the world looking at all the different data sources that you would need from a company in order to comply with BEPS 2.0 requirements. And it's incredibly challenging. Um, I think uh, many countries and, and many businesses are underestimating the data challenge that BEPS 2.0 poses. Um, and I guess the final message that I would say is that there's a tendency for people to think about BEPS 2.0 and immediately think about, you know, household name platforms and associate the tax as being on them. I always think you need to consider what it will mean in five to ten years' time where even traditional businesses have highly digitalised business models and then think about what it means. Lachlan, speaking generally, what are some of the key questions that indirect tax teams should be asking themselves to determine how they can manage their organisation's indirect taxes more efficiently? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and I, I, I'll use an analogy to begin with, which is, um, you know, I think we need to realise that if you can land a commercial airliner using technology tools like autopilot, then, you know, really I think we can prepare a tax return using technology tools and we should feel comfortable trusting those tools. Um, I do think um, that many, many clients are, have realised the imperative around automation uh, and the need for it, and I think the pandemic is, pr is probably bringing that to a head. Uh, what I will say is if you wind back two years ago, what I saw was many clients thinking the solution was to go out and buy a bunch of tools that help you do automation activities or th that help you achieve visualization over your data, uh, help with the compliance process or tax engines for the compliance process. But really what many of them have learnt 
is that actually it's all about the data. Unless you can get good quality data coming through your systems and you're able to bring that data together under a common data model, all the different data sources and able to reconcile those data issues and fix those problems at source, then ultimately the tools that you deploy will be very limited. So it, it really is the case that many companies are now realising the importance of their underlying data architecture for tax. So no longer is it the case, and indirect tax is really at the forefront of this simply because it's a transaction-based tax. No longer is it simply the case that finance gets to decide exactly what happens uh, in, in terms of the ERP system that a company uses and how it's configured. Tax needs to be very, very heavily involved in that. And Rodney, in your opinion, what have tax leaders learned in responding to COVID-19 and how do you expect them to continue to evolve? So I certainly think the pace of change is going to continue for tax leaders. You know, for me, what was interesting uh, in our client surveys, and this was really uniform around the world several months into the crisis, um, was that CTOs learned that they could have their teams work remotely. An interesting factor in those survey results was that one of the major priorities became a non-technical matter. And really, that's one of the few times I've ever seen our client surveys of chief tax officers come back with a non-technical matter up top. And that specifically was that they needed to build a better contingency plan for the next time this happened. So a number found, as I said, that they couldn't access vital records during compliance seasons, communication tools were weak, and their teams lost connectivity. It was also hard for them to keep uh, connected to the finance group and business leaders. And I think that certainly led to some of the technology points that Lachlan made, which is tax folk are far more sensitive to the need for good, strong technology to enable their processes than they were before that. So on that basis, one of our last surveys showed that CTOs wanted to build better contingency plans and invest in technology so as to avoid the next big problem. I think that such plans will soon become part of a tax department's best practices Bible uh, going forward, and the savvy CTO will ensure that he or she has such a plan ready to pull out um, the next time this happens, because we know it will. It happens every 10 years or so. Finally, in terms of evolution of perhaps the merger of tax and business, I think this has also shown tax directors that overly complicated structures, um, depending on significant substance and resources to provide dempy substance, frankly may just be too difficult to maintain in situations like this and cost prohibitive going forward. I think that this pandemic has shown that technology resources in many ways can be more important than people resources. And as businesses have been right-sizing their headcounts, a, a number of folk have found that their structures just will not pass muster. It calls into question whether they should even just continue with those structures, and a number just have decided not to continue with them. So a question for both of you. How can both indirect tax and international tax teams help their organisations continue to weather the road ahead? Well, I think it's a one-team philosophy. Uh, the lines between indirect and direct tax are blurring 
uh, as a result of law change around the world. And it will continue to be that way as more and more reporting obligations are uh, required of organizations. So for me, there are three elements. First, continue the path of figuring out how to use technology to support remote working. Second, just realize the world of tax has not changed. You see that in how BEPS 2.0 is moving forward. You'll see that if you consult our KPMG digital tracker app, just the sheer number of proposed tax law changes just in the last week related to the digitalization of the economy shows you that governments are still focused on ensuring that taxes are collected and paid. That is not changing. Third and finally, I think greater connectivity between the direct and indirect teams will be even more vital, especially given the trends in DSTs. I'd be interested in your views on that, Lachlan. So, Rodney, I completely agree. I think there is a blurring of the lines between direct and indirect tax, or, or perhaps unhelpfully, I'll put it, that, that people like me are trying to take over jobs like yours, Rodney, so um, you should watch out, mate. Um, on a more serious note, um, I don't think it's limited to simply taxes like a digital service tax. Um, I expect you'll see a growth in, I mentioned this briefly earlier, uh, more turnover-based taxes, specific industry taxes, and even environmental taxes, and I think we're just seeing a fundamental change in the tax mix. I think the other aspect which you also alluded to is indirect taxes focus on transactional level data. And in an indirect tax context, we're also becoming more and more accustomed to working with clients to provide tax authorities with real-time reporting of those transactional level data. And I expect that is a trend which will expand uh, and continue to affect other areas of tax as well. So those enhanced reporting requirements, I think, come into it. But Rodney, I, I do think that the, the, the two areas are merging together and um, you know, I think the example that you use of the KPMG Digital Economy Tax Tracker app is a great example where we're, we're trying to support clients with those changes right across all taxes and obviously look forward to working more closely with you. So, Rodney and Lachlan, to conclude this podcast, if you could leave our listeners with two key takeaways or considerations, what would they be? Well, for me at least, it would be these couple of items. First, keep the team together and in full communication at times like this. It's just really easy for things to fall between the cracks. And the second thing, I'd actually like to come back to the point Lachlan made. You know, I said the world of tax continues, and we expect the pace of change to continue just like it has for the last several years. But think about some of the things that Lachlan mentioned about upcoming tax matters, ESG, for example. Uh, keeping in touch with your advisors, keeping your finger on the pulse of what's going on politically in the world of taxes will be even more important over the next several years because we expect, given the deficits that so many governments have run to fund their countries out of this crisis, that taxes sure are not going away anytime soon. I don't know. What do you think, Lachlan? So completely agree, Rodney, and, and probably my, my two predictions are going to finish with uh, two quotes. The first one is probably my favourite quote in all of tax, which was uh, from a, fr a Frenchman uh, by the name of Jean-Baptiste Colbert, and it's, it's this, which is, the art of taxation consists in so plucking the goose of feathers as to procure the largest amount of feathers with the least possible amount of hissing. And in my view, the, the movement and direction to alternative forms of tax beyond simply traditional corporate tax um, is encapsulated in that quote, which is, in essence, because 
many of those specific forms of tax, whether they be digital economy taxes, uh, whether they be a VAT, cause uh, or at least perceive to cause the least possible amount of hissing. And the final one, which you've alluded to a few times, Rodney, which is there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes. And I think as we move out of this crisis, we will hopefully have less of the former, but I think it will come with more of the latter. In other words, I expect we'll have more and higher taxes. Lachlan and Rodney, on behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you again for joining us today. You've given us a lot to think about. Join us again next time, and please feel free to email us with any questions or suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear more about at tax at kpmg.com. And for more information and resources on COVID-19, visit home.kpmg.com forward slash COVID-19 tax and legal. Thanks for listening.